0: Um, we are beginning a new series entitled "One Hit Wonders" today, and it's it's the five books in the Bible that each only contain one chapter. So between Mother's Day and Father's Day, which is five Sundays, we're going to take uh, a look at Obadiah, Philemon, Second John, Third John, and Jude. And we start today. We're in the book of Obadiah in the Old Testament. Before we get going, I just have a question. How many of you have ever had heard a sermon or had a teacher uh, preach or teach on Obadiah? Can I see your hands? Me either. <laughs> Me. Either. I've never heard it taught. I've never heard it preached. I've never taught or preached on Obadiah either. So this is uh, new, the new stuff, okay? Obadiah is the The shortest book in the Old Testament, it's only 21 verses in length. Now, um, Obadiah clearly was a common name because in the Old Testament there are 11 Obadiahs mentioned. 11. And we have no way of connecting one of those Obadiahs to this book. So we don't know which Obadiah wrote this book. Um, so to kind of catch us all up, to give us a big picture understanding of Obadiah, there's this uh, group, and uh, they do a great job of putting big picture of books of the Bible. And, and frankly, they have a whole bunch of videos that many of you would, would really greatly benefit from. BibleProject.com, free And they have wonderful resources. I'd encourage you to go take a peek at that. Anyway, um, not very often do we have the opportunity as a church family to actually read an entire book of the Bible together. It's like it never happens. So just before we stand, uh, this is our source It's uh, our foundation for everything we teach, everything we preach, everything we practice. That's one of our core values. So it's going to take about three minutes. Are you up for that? Can you handle it? Hey, balcony, can you handle standing for three minutes? Okay, they said yes. Uh, If you're able, would you stand with me? We're going to read the entire book of Obadiah out loud together. Okay, here we go. Let's read together. This is the vision that the Sovereign Lord revealed to Obadiah concerning the land of Eden. The Lord says to Edom, I will cut you down to size among the nations. You will be greatly despised. You have been deceived by your own pride because you live in a rock fortress. And make your home high in the mountains. Who can ever reach us way up here, you ask boastfully. But even if you soar as high as eagles and build your nest among the stars, I will bring you crashing down, says the Lord. If thieves came at night and robbed you, what a disaster awaits you. They would not take everything. Those who harvest grapes always leave a few for the poor. But your enemies will wipe you out completely. Every nook and cranny of Edom will be searched and looted. Every treasure will be found and taken. All your allies will turn against you. They will help to chase you from your land. They will promise you peace while plotting to deceive and destroy you. Your trusted friends will set traps for you. And you won't even know about it. At that time, not a single wise person will be left in the whole land of Edom, says the Lord. For on the mountains of Edom, I'll destroy everyone who has understanding. The mightiest warriors of Teman will be terrified. And everyone on the mountains of Edom will be cut down in the slaughter. Because of the violence you did, to your close relatives in Israel, you will be filled with shame and destroyed forever. When they were invaded, you stood aloof, refusing to help them. Foreign invaders carried off their wealth and cast lots to divide up Jerusalem. But you acted like one of Israel's enemies. You should not have gloated when they exiled your relatives to distant lands." You should not have rejoiced when the people of Judah suffered such misfortune. You should not have spoken arrogantly in that terrible time of trouble. You should not have plundered the land of Israel when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have gloated over their destruction when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have seized their wealth when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads, killing those who tried to escape. You should not have captured the survivors and handed them over in their terrible time of trouble. The day is near when I, the Lord, will judge all godless nations. As you have done to Israel, so will be done to you all your evil deeds will fall back on your own heads, just as you swallowed up my people on my holy mountain. So you and the surrounding nations will swallow the punishment I pour out on you. Yes, all you nations will drink and stagger and disappear from history, but Jerusalem will become a refuge for those who escape. It will be a holy place, and the people of Israel will come back to reclaim their inheritance. The people of Israel will be a raging fire, and Edom a field of dry stubble. The descendants of Joseph will be a flame roaring across the field, devouring everything. There will be no survivors in Edom. I, the Lord, have spoken." Then my people living in the Negev will occupy the mountains of Edom. Those living in the foothills of Judah will possess the Philistine plains and take over the fields of Ephraim and Samaria. And the people of Benjamin will occupy the land of Gilead. The exiles of Israel will return to the land and occupy the Phoenician coast as far as Zarephath. The captives from Jerusalem, exiled in the north, will return home and resettle the towns of the Negev. Those who have been rescued will go up to Mount Zion in Jerusalem to rule over the mountains of Edom, and the Lord himself will be king. Amen. Lord, thank you. Thank you for inspiring even the little books of your word. Uh, this, this is an obscure little book, Lord, and uh, thank you that I got this last week some time to uh, dig in to this little book. So thank you. I, I pray especially right now for those who are struggle with hurt and harm and betrayal by someone that was close. That's what this book's all about. So, I pray for family wounds and scars, I pray for betrayals by people who are close to us. We yield right now to Jesus in spirit form. Come today and take charge today in your church and all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one unified voice, you can be seated. There are lots of brothers in the Bible. Did you know that? Lots of them. Uh, Moses had a helpful brother. Moses' brother was named Aaron. Peter and Andrew, brothers, disciples of Jesus, uh, along with the brothers also uh, disciples of Jesus, James and John. Okay, But then there are brothers who didn't get along with each other. Uh, They were enemies. The very first brothers were Cain and Abel. Cain murdered his brother Abel, jealous of him. And today we have another set of brothers who didn't get along. Uh, Their names are Jacob and Esau. And today we're going to look at Jacob and Esau because that's really the background for the book of Obadiah. Now, trouble began with Jacob and Esau because their parents played favorites. You Know what I'm saying? Uh, Jacob was his mother Rebekah's darling. He could do no wrong. She just loved and doted on Jacob. Whereas Esau was daddy's favorite, okay? Uh, Again, Isaac thought a lot of his little hairy hunter and he really, really enjoyed Esau. So you have favorites being played by the parents of the twins, Jacob and Esau. Now in Genesis 25, 34, we're told that Esau despised his birthright. What does that mean? Okay, if you were the oldest, that meant when Dad died, you get a double portion of the inheritance. And it says, he didn't really care much, okay? One day, Esau's out hunting, and he comes home, and he's starving. Chase, you ever had that? You're starving, because you've been out running around. And he demanded a bowl of stew from his brother, Jacob. He was cooking, and I think it smelled delicious, And he says, uh, "I, I need a bowl of that stew. And Jacob says, I'll give you a bowl of stew if you give me your birthright, okay? If you give me the double portion, here's the stew. So without batting an eye, Esau said, sure, whatever, whatever. And he exchanged his firstborn rights for a bowl of soup, okay? Later, when it came time for Isaac, dad, to officially give the firstborn rights to Esau, uh, Mama knew what was coming, and she quickly grabbed her favorite, the younger one, Jacob, and said, okay, uh, go kill a goat because your brother has really hairy arms, Uh, and, and you need to come and put some goat skin on your arms so your dad will think that you're Esau, okay? So um, even though Esau had flippantly gave his birthright away, okay, when Isaac, dad, blessed the younger one, now, now Esau's ticked, okay? He, he's really angry. Even though he gave it away, now he's angry. Because he saw uh, that wasn't just a bowl of stew. I lost my birthrights. So now Esau's planning to murder Jacob, and mom catches wind of it, okay? Uh-oh, my favorite is going to get killed by the older brother, okay? So she goes, and he says, she says to Jacob, you better get out of here. You got to leave because your older brother, he, he's going to kill you, and, and he means it. So uh, Jacob ran away to save his life. The brother-to-brother stealing and plotting and hating, please catch this, is why Obadiah was written, okay? The the brothers hated each other. So, after their father Isaac died, now it's time for Jacob to come home and he's going to gather up his birthright, okay? So now it's time for him to come home, but he's afraid. Why? Why? Because I think my older brother Esau is still ticked with me. And he was pretty sure that his entire family and, and he himself would be slaughtered by Esau. Okay? Instead, um, they come together and it's really pretty moving. They seem to mend fences. But then in Genesis 36.6, Esau moves, picks up his family And moves to an area south of the Dead Sea. Okay? Away from the land that he'd grown up in. Away from everything he'd known his entire life. Why did Esau move? And the answer? (laughs) Because he gave away his birthright for a bowl of soup. For a bowl of stew. He literally now moves because this land belongs to Jacob. Okay? So... Jacob coming back is like sending an eviction notice to older brother. Um, I'm back and now I'm going to possess what belongs to me because you gave it to me, remember? You, you gave me your birthright. This is my land now, big brother. Uh, I belong here and it's time for you and your family to move on. That's what he was doing. So, Esau moves to a new land, the land of Edom. The land literally means Esau. And he seized with anger and hate. I'm telling you, Esau pretended he was okay. I think he, for a little while, okay. But now he hates his younger brother, forcing him to move for his love of stew. That's unfair. So, What does Esau's sad story have to do with his descendants, is the question. And the answer is, everything, everything. It seems that Esau never stopped hating his little brother Jacob. Well, how do you know that? Well, in Ezekiel 35 and verse 5, here's what the Lord says, "...your eternal hatred for the people of Israel led you to butcher them when they were helpless." When I had already punished them for all their sins. So the question is this. What happens when betrayal happens in families? What happens when one family member hurts and harms, perhaps repeatedly, another person in the family? Okay? Hurt and harm. Give me your eyes. If not dealt with shortly after they occur, leads to bottled up resentment. And bottled up resentment, not dealt with, turns into anger and bitterness and hatred. And that's exactly what you have going on here. And the fact is, the closer you are to the one who betrays you, the greater the pain, the greater the harm that we experience. In the flesh, okay, in the flesh, I'm tempted to strike back at you because you harmed me, now I'm going to get revenge on you, okay? You, you, You did me wrong, and now I'm looking for just the right opportunity to get you back. The book of Obadiah is the story of hurt and harm in the family, okay? Jacob does Esau wrong. Okay? I, I think that Esau never believed that he actually was giving his birthright away for a bowl of stew. Okay? I, I think he, it's like, oh, I'll give you a million bucks. You ever said that to somebody? Yeah, yeah, I'll take it. And then they're really holding you to that. They really want the million bucks. So now Esau is looking for revenge. And Esau gets his revenge through his great, great Great-grandchildren. That's what Obadiah is about. So, so he's going to get revenge, and eventually he, he did. And here's what we need to know. Here's a here's fact. If you and I don't forgive and reconcile and leave with the Lord the offenses that we've experienced, okay? If we don't forgive, we will pass on our grudges to our children. And we will pass on our anger to our grandchildren. And we will pass on our bitterness to our great-grandchildren. And I'm telling you, the hatred will just keep building with our great-great-grandchildren. That's exactly what happens here in the book of Obadiah. Where do you get that? Deuteronomy 5.9, Exodus 34.7. The sins of the father get passed down to the third and the fourth generation. Go back to the text with me. Let's look at verses 10 and 11 of Obadiah, okay? It says, because of the violence you did to your close relatives in Israel, you're going to be filled with shame and destroyed forever. When they were invaded, you stood aloof, refused to help them. Foreign invaders carried off their wealth and cast lots to divide up Jerusalem. But you acted like you were one of Israel's enemies, when actually you're one of their close relatives. Now let me let me give you an example. Okay, have you heard of the Herods in the New Testament? Remember the Herods? Okay, they they were the leaders, the kings in the New Testament, and all of the Herods were Edomites. You tracking with me? So all of the Herods were relatives of Esau. Okay? Uh, Herod the Great. That's the first one. And uh, he was in charge when Jesus was born. Remember the wise men come in and they go, where's the king of the Jews? And you remember what Herod the Great said? I'm the king of the Jews. How dare you come in? And he slaughters all the baby boys two years and younger. That's a relative of Esau. Uh, Herod Antipas Uh, watches this little girl probably do a very sexual dance, and he says, I'll give you anything. What do you want? And she says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. That's, again, one of Esau's relatives. Herod Agrippa I was the one who murdered James, one of the 12 disciples, and then tried to kill Peter. All of these kings, all of these Herods, were descendants of Esau. All of them, track with me, were infected with resentment and bitterness and nursed the grudge of their great 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 grandpa. And his name is Esau. They they never got over it. He infected, it was poisonous and it infected all of them. And I'm telling you, and Satan was happy To use the hatred and the bitterness and the ancient betrayal, he was happy to use the Herods to attack and attempt to destroy the descendants of Jacob. Okay? When we've been harmed and betrayed and knocked down, I'm telling you, there's something in all of us instantly. No one has to train you. You want to get revenge. When someone hurts you, when someone does you wrong, there's just an old, ugly part of our <clears throat> sinful lives. We got to take revenge. We do. Got to have a bottle of water here too. Um. There was a businessman, and he's um, at the airport, and the employee just couldn't do anything right. This businessman was critical, and every little thing the employee did trying to take care of this businessman, he just criticized and scrutinized and ridiculed him. And and finally, he he was done with them, and he went on his way. And the next passenger listened to all this ugliness and asked, how could you remain so calm and quiet when that guy was attacking you? And the employee said, well, he's flying to New York. His bags are going to Brazil. <laughs> telling you, there's some, that, that, we got some of that in all of us. Malachi 1, verse 2, last book of the Old Testament says, I loved your ancestor Jacob, but I rejected his brother Esau. I, I loved your brother Jacob was, was and, and trust me, Jacob had his, his faults, but I've rejected his brother Esau. Why specifically did the Lord reject Esau? And the answer is found in verse 3. Here's, here's why Obadiah, verse 3. When you've been deceived by your own pride, you lived in a rock fortress, you've made your home high in the mountains. You've said, who, who could ever reach us way up here, you ask boastfully. Okay? The trouble with Esau was he was proud. Pride infested. Pride is the root sin for all of us. Pride is, I can do this. I'm self-sufficient. I can handle life on my own. Thanks, Lord, but I don't really need you. I'm fine on my own. I'll do it myself. I'm doing just fine. And you better listen close, because here's the truth. This side of heaven, we all still struggle with pride. That is the chief sin. It's an overemphasis on I. Because some of you are thinking, I don't think very highly on me. Yeah, but you think about me too much, even in a negative light. That's pride only flipped upside down. Pride is the number one fruit of our old sinful, selfish flesh. We all struggle with it, okay? Now here's what's going on with the Edomites. Um, Let's put that picture of Petra up there. The Edomites were convinced this was their capital, okay? And they were convinced, who could get us up here? To reach the city, their capital, there was like a narrow Fissure in the rocks. You had to, you had to walk through a mile to get to their capital city, and they're thinking to themselves, "No one is ever going to be able to conquer us." Um, it was said that eight men could guard and prevent an entire army from breaking through to Petra, their capital. Uh, here's what they say, verses three and four: "Who, who could ever reach us up here?" They ask boastfully. But even if you soar as high as eagles and build your nest among the stars, here's what the Lord says back, you're going to come crashing down, okay? In their self-sufficiency, in their pride, these descendants of Esau were sure nobody can touch us. We're smart, we're strong, we're talented, we've got this amazing land, we've got this amazing capital, nobody can reach us. And just a few years after Jesus died on the cross and rose again, guess who came marching into Petra? (laughs) The very same people who crucified Christ. The Romans, um, they were able to break through. And the Romans came marching into Petra and the cities of Edom and wiped them off the map. Okay? Okay. Uh, they've been in ruin ever since. I'm telling you, a, a few spots tried and, and then different uh, countries over the years. There's nothing left of Eden today. Totally wiped off the map. Obadiah is written to assure Judah, Israel, saying, guess what? God's justice will prevail. Okay. I know you think right now they're getting away with it. They're not. Justice is coming. The Lord will make the Edomites pay. And they did. One day, Judah, one day, Judah, you'll be restored. One day, Edom and Petra will be destroyed and left in ruins. And that's exactly what happened. So, what's the takeaway for us today? What, what should we take away from this little 21-verse book? What's the takeaway for us from these 21 verses of Obadiah? And here it is. Listen close. Grudges, hostility, offense, bitterness. If we don't deal with the hurt and the betrayal we've experienced, we too will pass it on. To our children. I promise you. If, if it's still in there. And you haven't given it to the Lord. You'll pass it on to your grandchildren. And they'll be passed on to your great-grandchildren. And then to your great-great-grandchildren. Down to the third and the fourth generation. If we don't deal with it. It will continue on. Okay. Some of us here. The truth is we've experienced Betrayal. And the worst betrayal is when we're betrayed by those who are closest to us, especially family. Listen to what Ephesians 4 explains. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ... Has forgiven you. We forgive because we've been forgiven. Do you understand? The reason we forgive as followers of Jesus is because we are a forgiven people. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35, Jesus tells a parable. Why should we forgive? Some of you are thinking, you're right, I've been betrayed, I've been harmed, I've been wounded. Why should I forgive? And here's the story. There's a servant who owes the king a billion dollar debt. Okay? And here's the idea here. There's no way, no how, this servant ever could repay the debt. And the king says, come in. I've decided to forgive you of your debt. You are forgiven. And I'm sure the, the servant's thinking, wow, I get to go free. But then the first thing that forgiven servant does is he goes out and finds somebody who owes him $10,000. Now, I don't know about you, but somebody steals $10,000 from me, that hurts. Right? Right? 100 days wages is what he was owed. But he goes out and he finds somebody. This fellow servant owes him $10,000 and he chokes him and he says, pay it back. And the guy says, I don't have it. So he has the guy thrown in jail. And then the king gets word, okay? The king finds out the one he had forgiven a billion-dollar debt has now refused to forgive his fellow servant of a $10,000 debt, okay? So so now you understand? The king says, "Uh uh-uh. That that's not gonna go on that way. So the king orders the forgiven man to be tortured. And you're gonna remain in torture until you forgive the debt. You're just gonna live in torture. Here's what Jesus says to end this parable. Chilling words, Matthew 18 35. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters. From your heart. That, that's what's going to happen to you. If you have been forgiven a billion and you, you refuse to forgive, that's exactly what you're going to live in torture, okay? Forgiveness is mandatory for all of us who've experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. It's mandatory, okay? Refusing to forgive isn't an insult to King Jesus. Why? He's forgiven us a billion dollar sin debt and now I'm nursing a grudge and I'm refusing to forgive a $10,000 hurt from one of my fellow servants. Here's the truth. Some of us here today, we've been hurt and we've been harmed and we've been betrayed. And I'm telling you, it's real and it hurts and it oftentimes comes from those who are closest to us, our friends, our family members. Forgiveness, give me your eyes, means, Lord, I'm taking this offense, I'm taking this hurt, this deep wound, and I'm going to give it to you, Jesus. I'm going to give this person and what they did to me, and I'm going to lay it in your arms, and I'm going to trust you. Okay? Romans 12, verse 19, I choose not to seek revenge. Instead, King Jesus, I'm leaving revenge in your awesome arms. Okay? So that leaves us with a choice. Okay? Here's the choice. Hold on to the anger. Refuse to forgive, which means I live in torture. I'm telling you, the poison of unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, hatred, Uh, It's awful. Live in torture and then pass it on to your children and pass it on to your grandkids and your great-grandkids and your great-grandkids, great-great-grandkids. That's the choice. Or, because Jesus, you've forgiven me. (laughs) Jesus, because you've forgiven me my billion-dollar sin debt, I'm going to give this person... In this situation to you. Jesus, I'm going to trust you with this hurt and this betrayal. And I'm going to leave revenge for you to deal with. You're awesome. I give it to you. So here's my closing question. Is there anybody in your life that you've not forgiven who's deeply harmed you? Is... Is there any grudges and bitterness and anger that's still flowing inside of your heart and your mind? Will you consider today giving that offense to King Jesus? If you're a follower of Jesus, you can give it to him and take your hands off it and say, Now, Lord, remove all the ugly poison going on in my life. I give that to you. Because you've forgiven me so much more. That's why it makes sense. Bow your heads, shut your eyes as we close. Lord, we just pause. We just admit that so often we get knocked down and hurt and harmed in this sinful world. And it's not fair. And it's not right. And sometimes they did it intentionally. And the truth is sometimes they did it repeatedly. So we just acknowledge this is a hard subject, but we also acknowledge choosing not to forgive ultimately harms us the most. So I want to pray for my friends here. Some of us have been really greatly harmed by people who we trusted and should have loved us well and should have protected us and they didn't. And the bitterness and the anger and the frustration, it's real. It really is. So, Lord, we just want to, right now, recognize you've forgiven our billion-dollar sin debt. And that's the reason why. You've forgiven us so much more. How could we not forgive our fellow servants? How could we not? We can't do that on our own, Lord. It's only Jesus in us and through us that we can start the process of forgiveness. So Lord, would you help us even now? Some of my friends here, we need to give that situation, that person, maybe there's even more than one, that we need to give that to you. Why? Because you've forgiven us. Because I don't want to live in torture. I don't want my friends to live torture, and Lord, we don't want to pass on our offense, pass on our anger, our frustration, our hatred to our children. (laughs) Don't want to pass it on to our grandkids, -grandkids, great-grandkids, great-great-grandkids. Would you help us to forgive and give those hurts and harms to you? And we, We take our hands off. Lord, if it comes back tomorrow, we're going to bring it right back to you. And eventually, Lord, here's the truth, eventually we can leave it with you for days and weeks. But every time it comes to mind, we're going to keep coming and bring it right back to you until it's gone and healed. And finally, you might be watching online or you're here, and and the truth is we talked about Jesus forgiving your billion-dollar sin debt. Have you allowed Jesus to forgive you? All your sins, past, present, future. He paid the price. Did you know that? On the cross, he willingly took your place and mine on the cross. He shed his blood for all of our sin debt. He took our place in the grave, arose victoriously from the dead. He did that for us. Is that not awesome? And right now, today, right, watching online here in person, you can say, Jesus, I, I believe you paid my sin debt. Jesus, I believe you did that for me. And right now, I want to welcome you into my life. I open up the door of my life. I receive you as my Savior, my King, the one who conquered my sin debt. Jesus, I want you in me. Come take charge of my life. It'll change everything. It will. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that uh, those that need to forgive, holding on to an offense, I pray that you'll give us the courage to give it to you. And I pray for those who've never before allowed you to cover and wash and cleanse our sin. I pray that you'll help us to do just that. We love you, Lord. You're awesome. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray all these things. Amen. Pastor Chad, can I ask you to come on up and uh, close us, would you please?
1: Yeah, so uh, just as Jeff was closing there, uh, I slipped my finger over to the 12 steps in life recovery, because I thought, oh, this is reconciliation this morning, big time, this is steps eight and nine. I'm just gonna read them briefly for you. Step eight is we made a list of all the persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to all of them. Step nine walks you through, we make direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. You know, the issue of reconciliation, the, the Christian should be the one pursuing reconciliation more than any other person on the planet because we serve and are saved by the God of reconciliation, who, as Jeff said, has forgiven us for so much. And so as we go, yeah, you know, I went through these steps over the last few weeks, about six weeks ago, I went through steps eight and nine, roughly, and the Lord brought something to my mind as I went through that. And it was a situation from two years ago. And it was, it was actually a pretty small situation. In fact, I don't think the other person even really remembered it. But I had made a commitment verbally to a person, an individual. And every occasion it would come to me. It's like, you know, you have never followed through. In fact, you need to apologize at this point for your word and follow through with that. So long story short is I took care of that one Sunday afternoon. And it was good. It was healthy. And the individual was very thankful that I had even remembered that and had cleared that up. So my challenge is to all of us, just as the Lord brings situations to you, the Holy Spirit's going, you know, you really need to deal with this, step through this. We need to respond and be listening to the Lord that way. It is so freeing to have forgiveness in our life. And I realize some of it is heavy and complex. And you may even need some counsel working through some of that. But start somewhere, think of what God has forgiven us. So, go ahead and stand with me, and then we'll, we'll pray and we'll dismiss you. So, Lord, I thank you that you are the God of reconciliation, the God of forgiveness. Lord, help us to live this out. We can't do this in our own strength, we need the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. But, Lord, most of all, help us to respond to your prodding when you prompt us for it. So, Lord. I pray for our church, I pray for all of us here that we would live in a way that we are people as seen as forgiving and a desiring to walk in relationships that are reconciled with each other and most of all with you. In Jesus' name, amen.